We're trekking through 1 Thessalonians, and I'm going to read from chapter 1, verses 1 through to 10. Verse 1. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God, the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, we always thank God for you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before God and Father, before our God and Father, your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You knew how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Acacia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Acacia. Your faith in God has become, become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Thank you, Matt, for reading. Thank you for uh, being available to join our ministry team here as well. Friends, uh, I have mentioned that I'm using Nikki Gumbel's The Bible in One Year Bible app again this year. And about a week ago, uh, he tells the story of Shane Taylor in his Bible app. And Shane uh, considered one of the most dangerous men in the UK prison system. And there uh, should be a photograph of him coming up on your screen very soon. Uh, originally jailed for attempted murder. He had his sentence extended for four years when he attacked a prison officer with a broken glass, setting off a riot in a prison. They put him in a segregation unit of the prison. He was given food through a hatch. His door was not opened unless there were six officers armed with riot shields waiting outside. Later transferred to a maximum security prison where he was invited on the Alpha course, introductory course on Christianity. And during the course, he was changed by God. He heard the gospel. He realized he was a sinner, but there was a great savior. And he said, Jesus Christ, I know you died on a cross for me. I hate who I am, who I've become. Please forgive me and come into my life. At that moment, he says he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he was so excited, he went running onto the wing, telling everyone that he could find that Jesus is real. What a turnaround. His behavior changed so much that they, he went from living in total segregation to getting a trusted job in the prison chaplaincy. He prayed for the prison officers and for his enemies. When he came out of prison, he got involved in the church as well. And he met a young woman called Sam, and you can see of her there. But also had a tough life involved with drugs and criminal activity. She came to faith in Jesus as well. Married with five children. Now talking to Shane now, he says... It is hard to imagine that he is the same person who terrified so many people in the past. He's experienced the wonder of God's great love. He says, Jesus has shown me how to love and how to forgive. He has saved me. He has forgiven me for what I've done. He has turned my life around. And we remember in the middle or the beginning of this new series that God is in the business of transforming lives and bringing glory to his name. And if you missed it last week, uh, let me remind you that our vision is to see lives transformed through Jesus Christ to the glory of God. That's what we pray about, that's what we invest our lives in, to see lives uh, changed by God. Now, the Thessalonian church 
is a great example of how God uses the preaching of the gospel to transform lives. And therefore, it's a great place to start in 2021 for us here at Nawi Baptist. And alongside these sermons, there will be Bible study series that our home groups will be engaging in. But uh, just a reminder that Paul and his companions visited Thessalonica uh, on one of his missionary journeys, about 49 to 50 AD. It was the second journey. He was accompanied by Silas, uh, Timothy and Luke. And in Acts 17, you hear how Thessalonica was evangelized. He said, he spoke in the Jewish synagogue for three successive Sabbaths. Some of the Jews believed, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks, and not a few prominent women. He preaches, people hear the gospel, many are saved. But immediately, a violent opposition from the Jews led to a riot in the city. Paul and his friends had to be smuggled out of the city for their own protection, Acts 17, 5-10. And so it's a good reminder that Christ-centered preaching and ministry and conversions often leads to opposition. So I say to you today, don't be surprised and don't be frightened. Christ-centered preaching and ministry often leads to opposition and even persecution. Paul then preached at Berea until the Jews from Thessalonica followed him there to Berea, stirred up the crowds again, Paul was sent away while Silas and Timothy then stayed in the city of Berea. While Paul was in Athens waiting for them, Timothy and Silas returned to Thessalonica to see how the church was going. They met up again in Corinth where Timothy brought Paul an update of the church. Paul was concerned to see that they were persevering in the faith, continuing. And in 1 Thessalonians 3 verse 6, we hear, But Timothy has just come, uh, now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. I love that about Paul. Having left them, he was concerned. Were they growing in Christ? Were they serving Christ? Were they continuing in the faith? And in chapter 1, we see the type of church they are. And firstly... They are a community, an authentic community that lives in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Really significant right at the beginning to get this. Paul, Silas and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. Friends, an authentic church is living in, rooted in, drawing its life from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not as if we have this power and this strength in ourselves that we're just going to make now we great again. No, not at all. God makes things great. God deserves the glory and praise and honor. We are in him. And because we are in him, we have his resources, his strength, uh, his power at work in us. Our viability here at Nawi Baptist and at any church and its strength does not come from within itself. It draws its life and strength from God the Father and the Son. It is God-centered and God-dependent. So we are not a social club, we're not a cricket club, we're not a golf club, we're not a craft group. We are a church, an authentic gathering of people in God. We have a relationship with God and that is our primary relationship. And therefore we remember, and I remember, that the church is not about me, it's not about you, it's not about your strength and your gifts and your glory or mine, it's about God's glory. But God gives us gifts and talents and abilities to bless one another, encourage one another as we follow him. We live, as we say, for the spread of his fame and the glory of his name. You want to learn something? Take something with you. We live for the spread of his fame and the glory of his name. We magnify God, not ourselves. No one will bow at my knee one day. Is that true? But that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every knee acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And right at the beginning, 
He reminds that they are in God, the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything we have is a gift from God. Every talent, every resource, every gift is from God. Having said that, he offers grace and peace. Grace, uh, he really prays upon them God's blessing, God's unmerited favour. And he, in a sense, greets them with peace. That means the fullness of health and harmony through reconciliation with God. They live in God, the Father, Lord Jesus Christ. But secondly, they're a community distinguished by faith, hope and love. He says, we always thank God for all of you, mentioning you in our prayers. We continue to remember before our God and Father, your work produced by faith, your labour prompted by love and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Their lives were not just saved, they were being transformed by God. And Paul encourages them. He tells them, that he thanks God for them, that he mentions them in, their, in his prayers, and we continually remember you before God. Please remember that memory, thanksgiving, and prayer belong together. So I ask you today, have you remembered someone this week? Have you given thanks for them? And have you prayed for them? To someone maybe even in this room this morning or someone you're sitting with at home or someone in your home group or, or ministry team or a family member who has and you remember who they are and what they've done in God, how they blessed you. And you say, God, I'm so thankful for them, for what they've done. And God, I'm going to keep praying for your ongoing work in their lives. Memory, thanksgiving and prayer. Now, I think most of us need to pray and work for better memories, don't you? Sometimes I just get caught along with all the things we're doing. You forget to stop and go, well, thank God for this guy. I thank God for... Peter, happy birthday today. It's Peter's birthday today. He turns up here early in the morning to, to play keyboards for us. Thanks. And I, I can mention a whole bunch of you, right? Have you stopped? Rather than just taking each other for granted, say, God, thank you for them. And not simply... And, Commit them to God in prayer. Pray for their, their spiritual growth. Pray for their family. Pray for their children. Pray for their uh, grandchildren if they have that. And say, God, I am who I am. I've been impacted by them. And so I say to you, uh, now we Baptists pray the news and prayer newsletter. When it comes and I send it out on Monday or Tuesday, at least click it so I think you've at least opened it. Because on that, you will find prayer needs. On that, you'll find stories of what's happening in our church. See, if you don't click to open it and you don't read it, you won't have any memories, you won't know what to pray for, and you won't be giving thanks to God for, for his work either. Our pastors, we gather and we pray and we follow up your, your responses and as much as we can and your needs. Remember, thanks, prayer, in our home groups, in our ministry teams, new people who come and some new people gathered here this morning, or for our missionaries, some are in Australia, some are overseas. Do you remember them? Give thanks for them? Pray for them. Paul does. Why? Because he says... We've seen your work produced by faith, your labour prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, here is an authentic church where faith works. It leads to good works. For us, service, ministry, evangelism, chaplaincy, kids leaders, scripture teachers, food hampers, craft groups, playtime ministry, evangelism, mission, whatever it happens to be, faith works. Secondly, love labours. And I love how he says to them, your love labours. In other words, it's not cheap love, right? Sometimes our love is cheap. You know, oh, you know, I did this for them once. Love, labour means it's hard work. Uh, it takes effort. You get tired. 
I was talking to Lachlan, he said, man, we had our final uh, youth meeting with our leaders and then my senior leaders, I think it was, we finished after midnight. I said, I was saying, yeah, it's tough work, sleep in Saturday morning or come a little bit later on Friday. He's not complaining, he's just saying, wow, the Fridays are really long days with gathering. And so, and remember, uh, I always say to, to pastoral team, that those, most of those people have been working all day till six or seven, all university students, oh, they don't work very much. <laughs> but, and then they come and do that as well. Love labours. And, and when I see people labouring like that, it, it's a sign that you're authentic believers, that you're willing to put the time and effort and hope endures. You look forward to the return of Christ. When things are so tough and you think, God, where are you? Hope endures. When someone gets sick in your family, you think, God, where are you? You didn't get that job. God, where are you? Hope endures. Because you know you live in light of eternity. You know Christ is coming back. You know someone else may have a lot more money than you. And you wish you had more money like the other people. You wish you could go on the holidays that they used to go on at least. Or you wish you could do that and you think, hope endures. I'm going to live for the glory of Jesus no matter what I have. And friends, let me say, I rejoice when I think of you, those gathered here and those on the live stream, to see that God is at work amongst us. Sure, we can all grow and mature, but God is at work amongst us, and I thank God for you. Thirdly, we're a community chosen or loved and chosen by God. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Chosen by God, now members of God's church. Let me say, the doctrine of election, the whole idea that God has chosen us, creates some difficulties and questions for some people. Yet God doesn't provide many answers for us other than to assert that he chooses because he loves. In Deuteronomy, in choosing Israel, he said, The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples, but it was because the Lord loved you. God says, I set my choice upon you that through you I'll bring blessing to the nations. Here in 1 Thessalonians 1, 4, Paul unites the love of God and the election of God. John Stott puts it this way. He chose us because he loves us. And he loves us because he loves us. He does not love us because we are lovable, but only because he is love. And with that mystery, we must rest content. But the important thing in the Thessalonians' letter is this. They're suffering opposition and persecution. Paul has to escape the city for his own life. And he says to them, God loves you and God has chosen you. You are safe and secure in him. The word, the, the doctrine of election is a word of comfort to God's people in the midst of their persecution. But how does he know that they're loved and chosen by God? Because of the preachers, because they have preached the gospel to them and the people have responded to the gospel. And there's clear evidence that they are changed. So what are they like? In verse 5 to 10, we see a community, an authentic community, that receives and transmits the gospel. We're told that the gospel came to the Thessalonians in verse 5. Of course, it didn't come by itself. It didn't drop from a parachute from heaven. No, Paul, Silas, and Timothy brought it. Before they arrived, there was no church. When they left, the church had been planted and taken root. How did it come? The gospel came with words. He said, because our gospel came to you not simply with words. Not simply with words, but it did come with words. In other words, if people are going to come to Christ, they need to hear the gospel. That God loves you, but you have sinned and rebelled against God, and that puts you under the judgment of God. But God is so merciful, God is so gracious and loving, that he sent his son from heaven onto the earth, to become like one of us, 
who lived the perfect life, who died a sacrificial death in your place, and God raised him from the dead on the third day. He is Lord of lords and King of kings. He now calls you to repent and believe in him, come into his family, find salvation, find new life, and then start living a new life. Now, if you don't tell people the gospel, they don't know how to become Christians, right? But he says, not simply with words. Friends, I had taught the gospel for 18 months before I made a decision to follow Jesus. 18 months of hearing and hearing, but not taking that step. What was going on? I needed the operation of the Holy Spirit in my life to open up my eyes to see and understand. The gospel came with power and the Holy Spirit. Not simply with words, it came with words, yes, but with power and the Holy Spirit. Friends, it's not enough for people simply to hear the words and read the words. You know, I have friends who you read the Bible, you discuss it all, and one guy said to me, I said, are you now convinced that Jesus rose from the dead? I said, okay, you convinced me. Jesus is God's son who died and rose again. I said, will you give your life to Jesus? He said, no. I said, what do you mean you won't give your life to Jesus? You said you believe it. He said, I believe it's true, but I, I don't want to hand my control of my life over to someone else. A little while later, the Holy Spirit worked on his heart and he repented and trusted in Christ. 18 months for me. Shane Taylor, that guy in prison, can you imagine this criminal going to an alpha course, hearing talks on Jesus? And listening in, and somewhere, the Holy Spirit turns on the lights in his heart and mind. And he receives the gospel, he's transformed. The gospel also came with deep conviction. And it seems to be here a reference to the deep conviction of the preachers who brought the message. Because when you know that people are lost and without hope in the world, and Christ is your only hope, and as a preacher of the gospel, I want to preach in some way, in, in such a way that it, it makes sense. Like, I'm not saying, well, Jesus loves you. If you want to take it, if you don't, it's okay. Go have a happy life, enjoy your life, and then just die. You just, nothing will happen. No, no. If I believe it's true, then I need to preach it with passion and emotion, and I need to really pray and care for people. And see, so when Paul preaches the gospel as a former enemy of the gospel who was saved miraculously by God, Paul wants them to know that they're under the judgment of God and there's a way of salvation. It's only Jesus. Isn't that true? So it comes with deep conviction. If you're not convicted of the truth of the gospel, you're not going to evangelize anyone. You're not going to tell them about good news because you're not really convinced yourself. You don't think it matters that much. And friends, too many Christians don't think it matters that much to take the risk of offending someone and sharing good news with them. I wonder what you're like. Let me say true faith works. True faith ensures that we, with deep conviction, pass on the good news of, of others. What a privilege, I must say, it is to be a pastor, to be able to preach every week. And I, I remember just recently at a, at a dentist, at a podiatrist, at a vet, at a football ground on radio, opportunities to commend Christ in multiple ways. Praying for God-given opportunities and preaching with deep conviction. It also says the gospel came via authentic believers. You know how we lived among you for your sake. Paul says, you know, we're authentic. We're true believers. We came, we, you saw our lives. It's not like we were just putting this on, right? Uh, we didn't just play games with, with you and, and with the gospel. You saw us, how we preached and how we lived. And then this is the preachers, but then how was it that they welcomed the message? You became imitators of us and of the Lord in, sp in spite of severe suffering you welcome the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. I love that. They welcomed it in spite of severe suffering. Sometimes when the gospel comes, it divides families. Sometimes it leads to a loss of employment. 
sometimes it leads to terrible heartache. But in spite of severe suffering, they welcomed the gospel. Friends, this is life. Unless you get the point that the gospel is life, you won't count the cost. I was reading uh, again in uh, one of the, uh, my, uh, in the um, Nicky Gumbel app this week. It's the story of Raj. Raj was one of six children born into a wealthy Brahmin family. He said the highest caste in the Indian Hindu caste system. At the age of 23, he encountered Jesus. His family, listen to this, disinherited him. They cut him off. <clears throat> as far as they were concerned, he was dead. They even held a funeral service for him. You believe in Jesus, you are out, you are dead. Neither his parents nor his brothers and sisters have ever spoken to him again. That's costly. For several weeks, he wandered around in the streets of Bangalore. He had virtually no food to eat at the beginning. He walked all day and slept in the park at night. The cost of following Jesus. Authentic faith. He started a new life in time. He met believers, encouraged him. He grew in Christ and uh, through him, many people encountered Jesus. And for several years, Nicky Gumbel says, he was the national director of Alpha in India. Out of a Brahmin family to the lead of a Christian organization in India. It says that he's had a blessed life and that God has more than compensated for his losses. Miraculous, isn't it? But they welcomed it with joy given by the Holy Spirit. I love this. Uh, sometimes people become Christians and say, oh, I reluctantly give my life to Jesus. <laughs> yeah, I've got to do it. All right, God, really, I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to, <laughs> I'm just going to give my life to Jesus. No, 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 with joy. You hear the gospel and you think, wow, that's great, joy. I mean, I, I was watching a soccer game on, uh, on KO Sports last night and at the end of it, I just noticed a basketball came on. And the Sydney Kings, I made reference to them last week, they haven't been doing too well. But then I noticed they're about 20 points up. So I quickly flicked over to the Kings. And, and, and for a moment I thought, there's a bit of joy here, Great Sooners. You haven't been watching much basketball recently, but there's some joy in that victory, isn't there? And I think, no, 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 compared to the joy of knowing Jesus, nothing compares. And they became imitators of the apostles and of the Lord. So they welcomed the message intellectually, but it led to a transformation of their behaviour as well. And they became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. And Dr. Leon Morris put it this way, the imitators, in their turn, were imitated. They saw Paul, they became like him, now other people are becoming like them. You, you were, I based my life on the fellow who led me to Christ at the beginning. That's all I knew. He was my, for 10 years, my spiritual mentor, my teacher, my leader, uh, my friend. So I watched him live. I watched him evangelize on the streets. I watched him uh, evangelize in the school. I, I watched him live his life for Jesus. And you just naturally imitate them, right? And I would hope that subsequent to that, someone may have looked at me and found something useful to imitate too. And our hope is that as we live for Christ, people are looking at us and go, well, I want to be like them. Authentic, passionate, Christ-centered, God-glorifying in our lives. And then the Lord's message thundered out from them. Now, if you have such joy in the gospel, uh, been changed by God, you know this is everything, of course the message is going to thunder out. Of course the message is going to echo out everywhere. Because anywhere you go and any time you, you serve, people will know that there is something in you. There is someone in you that makes a difference. 
The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it. Now, the word uh, rang out, echo, the Greek word echo, means a resounding gong, a roaring sea, a great thunder. And what he's saying is that people are hearing about your faith. What I'd love to see is that people in our community, now we, Picus, more deliberately, are hearing about the gospel, are hearing about our faith, are hearing about a, radically, uh, a radical group of people at Nawi who love God so much that it overflows into love and genuine witness and hope that endures and love that labours and faith that works. And they hear about our kids' ministry, they hear about the loving craft ministry, they hear about the welcoming playtime ministry, and, and they want to know more. And they hear that people's lives have been changed by Jesus and they want to come. And their testimony was clear and impressive. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who rescues us from the coming wrath. Three things here. They turned to God from idols. That was significant for them. No longer worshipping statues, now worshipping the true and living God. I love that, the true and living God. They turned to serve him. They turned to God but they wanted to serve him. So there's a sense of joy. Positively, you begin a new life of service, not simply turning, but you begin to serve. And they also waited for his son from heaven, to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who rescues us from the coming wrath. Friends, there's a good description of conversion, is it? They turn, they serve, and they wait for the coming again of Jesus. And you live in light of that. Turn, serve, wait. You'll explore that more in your home groups this week. An authentic, God-glorifying church lives in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's for his glory, not ours. It's distinguished by faith, hope, and love. It's a church, an authentic church that is loved and chosen by God. And it's a church that receives and transmits the gospel. It has a faith that works. And friends, it's all made possible because Jesus paid it all. 